Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine. Welcome into Racing World. I'm Darcy Waldegrave along with David Turner and Bob McMurray. We're looking back at another huge weekend of motorsport. I feel like I say that every week, but it was a tidal wave this weekend, a tsunami of sports, two wheels, four wheels, and the rest. I'm exhausted. I'm not quite sure what I have watched and what I haven't watched. It's just a soup of information. I don't know about you guys, but is that how you felt about it? You know where to turn. All there were were tyres. Well, we've waited all year, haven't we? And now we've got it and we can't cope with it. No, no. Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. I was still watching it. started watching Friday and I think I finished late Monday afternoon uh, with MotoGP and everything. But that's good. That's what I like to do. Well, the thing is, this week in most categories, they got the week off. Yeah, yeah. Well, MotoGP are back in town. But, um, yeah, well, most of them. Talk about that later. Is yeah. there a, a case of overkill? Am I, I should be speaking out of turn, shouldn't I, on a motorsport podcast but there was so much going on it really was actually but hard Dusty Dusty it wasn't compulsory well, it you wasn't. didn't have oh. to watch it all oh. <laughs> I knew there was something not quite <laughs> right there you don't go to the headmaster study if you don't do your homework right you okay well I tried to do as much homework <laughs> as I possibly could and I don't know where the highlights started any particular highlight for, for you guys over the weekend I think it's, it's just getting better and better all these championships are well and truly alive and you couldn't say, including IndyCar from my side of the fence, um, no one's a clear favourite, which is fantastic. That's what we want it for. That's how it should be. No one's a clear favourite in IndyCar, but it's very gratifying to see that our little favourite <laughs> yeah. is um, 49 points ahead in the championship, so that's a good thing. No, I'm, I was gratified again, twice I've been gratified, um, to uh, to see MotoGP back on, on the calendar as well and back racing. Strange, though, that all the... Um, the, the Moto 2 and Moto 3, there was none of this COVID mask stuff going on. You get to Moto GP and they've all got masks on. So, you know, it's a bit confusing there. But anyway, I thought it was a weekend of highlight. No, no rhyme or reason behind COVID masks. No. Nowhere no. on the globe. No. I thought I thought we'd do something slightly different here because uh, Bob had his 60 seconds, which turned into nearly two minutes last week. So oh before right. we get into anything, the person who hasn't done it yet is you, yes. Mr. Watergrave. So we're going to give you 60 seconds to talk about supercar. How's that sound? Sounds here you go. great. So Scott McLaughlin beat up on the field again in Sydney. He's a 228-point haul through three races. Represents a job well done, right? Uh, but as the best driver in the paddock, why was his effort to dominate proceedings and the season handicapped by tyre allocation? I'm not really sure about the boots. The tyre spread in Sydney for the supercars was superficially entertaining and cool for the young, young peddlers collecting wins and podiums, but the format didn't give me what I wanted. I want the fastest guys and the fastest cars fighting it out in front, punching it out, battling for the big championship points, not stumbling around midfield for low points on less than optimum rubber. Each race needs to be treated in isolation. No one driver should have an advantage or disadvantage based on previous races. The round win no longer exists. These are standalone point scoring fixtures, but with a handicap thrown across all three races. With a soft and hard allocation spread across the weekend, results were essentially contrived. Scott and Jamie and Shane would have earned more points stretching out the championship as it should be. They are giving lesser team's points out of pity. Yeah, there's the fun of watching a pile of passing, but it's not relative, it's made up. It's a thinning of glory. First of all, Bob, take note, that's how you do it in a minute. He's only done half of it. Oh, look, I've got two <laughs> lines left, but I stop like Go a good boy as well. do the two lines. And I'll just finish with the last time. LeBrock got his win, but it wasn't all him and his car. It was the jacked up nature of the distribution, and I'm with McLaughlin too when it comes to qualification boots. All the same, then given back, please. That may add some balance to what was, I thought, a very skewed weekend. There you go. Rarely, Darcy. Rarely. I agree with you. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) under lights was great. The race one under lights I thought was fantastic. The rest of it, I was confused for the rest of the weekend. I didn't enjoy it because I was confused. Uh, Because it it just seemed to be contrived. It was more lolly scramble. It was more like, well, who's running what system and why are they running it? I think that when you do it in isolation in a singular race, when you've got a number of different tyres to play with, and team tactics do come into it, but when one team can win one race but can't win the second one because of the nature of the tyre allocation and they are standalone races, that strikes me as grossly unfair. These other teams wouldn't have won. It's about the best teams, the best drivers, doing the best they possibly can with each race and not another race impinging on that individual race. Does, does that make sense, DT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it also creates an artificial headline, doesn't it? You have all these new winners suddenly appearing, so it's like, whoa, this is cool. It's not Level really, game. is he, Jack LeBrock? Really, is really. he? No. no. And that's not, you know, having to go at him or, no. or, or, or anybody, but it kind of creates maybe an artificial presence in terms of 
how you get a headline the next well, day. Well, it takes mm. valuable points off the leading teams. And I look at Scott McLaughlin, he should be dominating, and he could look back to that weekend and go, well, I had a chance to pick up 300 points in that weekend, but that was taken from me by the nature of the tyre distribution. So I was a passenger in the third race, watching Shane Van Gisbergen putt around in 12th position because he just hasn't got the equipment when other yep. teams are winning because they have that equipment. That's not fair and right to me. No, and, and if you take it back to the basics a little bit, the people that are normally at the back of the grid in qualifying were still at the back of the grid in qualifying because they used the hard tyres, saving all their soft tyres for the racing, which gives them the glory of the front. So it didn't make any difference really except when they wanted to use the best tyres and therefore put themselves artificially up the grid for the last race. And, I, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I just didn't – I kind of turned off to it a little bit. Um, the, some of the racing was good. Towards the end, four cars racing together, Jack LeBrock and, and Reynolds, that sort of thing. Great. That was The racing was good, but it wasn't the racing I was – There was an asterisk, wasn't there, right yeah. the way through yeah. the whole yeah. racing. There's yeah. always a, a but around the back of that. Yeah. Um, you notice the really cool thing in the in the night race how uh, the Penske cars have got the nice soothing light system inside the car, very Air New Zealand like, same colour scheme. It was like, okay, is this going to become a trend now? We're going to light up the cockpits as well so the drivers can see what they're up to. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I was I was looking for some soft lights while I was watching the racing over the weekend. To be honest, to be a bit restful. But no. yeah. I always told I mean, internal it, lights are really bad at night because you can't see what's going on the outside. They're, they're setting a, a, a Bad platform for everybody out there learning to drive. You shouldn't have your interior lights on, you naughty boys, right? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I just thought, here we go, here's another innovation, if you like, and where's it going to lead? But, you know, it was... Um, Lumens were good, though. It was lit, wasn't it? It was very well it was lit, lit with all the yeah, new yeah, lights. It, it looked really, really good. good. And I like uh, David Reynolds' assertion that uh, at night it feels like you're going faster because all your reference points are all skew whiffs, so you're not really quite sure, <laughs> well, so you seem quicker. That's true on the road, isn't it? When yeah. you're driving, you feel like the car is going smoother, which it generally is because the air is denser, and it feels like you're going faster because it's dark. Yeah, I, I agree. So at, yeah. the, at the legal speed limit, of and, course. Uh, yes, but it feels like... Feels like you might not be going any faster. Hopefully, you're not. Uh, Bob, could you go. just uh, give us the results over the weekend? What happened in, in supercars there? I'll let you read through that. Well, the final of it all was that the points um, kind of immaterial. I'm saying at the moment, Scott McLaughlin 802, Jamie Winkup 695, Chas Most at 610, and then downwards to uh, we'll get to Shane Van Gisbergen in seventh at 539. Race one, Scott won from Lee Holdsworth, Anton Di Pasquale race. That was the night race. Race two. Nick Perkett, Fabian Coulthard, Scott McLaughlin, race three, Jack LeBrock, Andre Heimgartner, and congratulations to Andre Heimgartner yep. um, because, you know, he uh, tyres or not, he drives well, that guy these days. He's driving really, really well, I think. I don't think he has been for a couple of years now yeah. as well, flying under the radar, desperately looking for drives wherever he can get them and just going anywhere he possibly can, but he seems to turn up every time he does. That's right. And fourth, um, the third was Todd Hazel with... Hazelwood, great for him. Uh, David has got the best fourth. livery in supercars. Yeah, at the that moment. sort of dull that, green thing. Yeah, that yeah. kind of camo brute thing yeah. going on. Was <laughs> staying, cool. staying in Australia briefly, I just want to um, mention Ron Toronak, the death of Ron Toronak earlier this week. Um, Ron Toronak was um, born in England, but an Australian designer with Jack Brabham. And then BT on the, all the Brabhams were Brabham Toronak, that's where the name came from. And. Um, Ron Toronek was an amazing guy. We used to, uh, when I was working Project 3, Project 4 with Ron Dennis, he was just around the corner from us and when we started wearing Rolt uh, cars underneath us instead of March and all the other bits and pieces, Rolt cars were absolutely fantastic. Rolt was um, made up of the initials of Ron Toronek and his brother. Um, so when you went there and built cars, he was, a, he was somebody who um, taught you how to do it by giving you the cold stare and um, telling you how to do it, basically. And one overriding thing I'll always remember about Ron Toronak is him looking from the gallery above when you're trying to build a racing car from new and him looking down and saying, turn the bolt, not the nut. Turn the bolt, not the nut. As loud as he possibly could when you're using one of those, um, you know, speed things anyway. So rest in peace, uh, Ron Toronak, one of the iconic people of uh, motorsport, not just Formula One or anything else. Yeah, it was a very well-known name, you know, the Rolled RT4 in our Atlantic Pacific yeah, era that we had in New yep. Zealand. So, yeah, mm. it's, it's a big loss. Mm. All right, still with F1, then let's uh, cover off that for the weekend mm. in Hungary. And I had a phone call from a friend of mine <laughs> a week ago 
He said, I begrudgingly believe now that Lewis Hamilton is one of the greats. It's taken me a very long time to come to this conclusion. There's something about him that grates me, but the way he's racing right now and what he's achieved, it's nigh on impossible yeah. to feel mean about the guy and say he doesn't deserve it. He's definitely yeah. right up there. And it's just hard to argue. And I, I have the same feeling myself. There's something about him or his personality that grates me, but you look at his body of work, what he's achieved and the way he's dominating right now. Uh, it's, it's impossible to be angry at him, say yep. he doesn't deserve it. He's brilliant. Take, take the fact he's got a, uh, the best car out there, fine, but he still drives it like it's the best car out there, he still beats his teammate. Well, that's precisely um, it, isn't it? Yeah, and if you, I'm leaving aside all the Black Lives Matter thing and all the taking a knee and all that sort of stuff, that's for a different day. Um, but yeah, I, I got to agree, he's, he is, he's an absolute star in the car. I mean, he really is. Um, what was it like at the Hungaroring? Well, it was a damp race, that was a good thing. Uh, Max Verstappen's recovery from crashing on the warm-up lap. That was, uh, once again, the mechanics just did, as they said, a th two-hour job in 20 minutes. I mean, just staggering to do that. And then for him to come second, it got written down here. Hamilton embarrassed them all. Simple as that. Yep. Ferrari not out of the woods at all, but let's not forget they were lapped by everybody in the, in the top three. Uh, they were lapped, and this both morning, cars. This morning they're saying there might have to be an internal restructure. So what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, well, You're it's, all it's Ferrari. Sat. It's Ferrari <laughs> internal restructure. They're already calling for Mattia Bonotto's head. I've conveniently forgotten about the fact that that happened. Yeah, Thanks know. for reminding uh, me. Sure. I just had this I'm mental sure. block. Um, Bottas, well, it looked like a jump start to me, but I've read the regulation, I've read what they said, and apparently it wasn't because it was within one-tenth of a second, then he moved and stopped. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um Haas got a point. <laughs> that's, that's something to uh, that's something to be amazed about. Haas got a point, um, and Renault protest against Racing Point again. That's going on, and Sebastian Vettel to Racing Point. He came out this morning. Uh, young Perez was saying, "Well, um, Lawrence Stroll ain't going to sack his son, is he?" When he was asked, "Who do you think is going to have to leave the team uh, to uh, <laughs> to make room for Vettel if he goes there?" So. I, it was an interesting race. It was a little bit tedious at times, I thought, but uh, Hungaroring does that to people. It was processional after a while. A little wasn't bit, it? yeah. Oh. Some of the overtaking maneuvers were a bit heroic, but, uh, and I've got to say, Albon as well. Just um, Alexander Albon, I still think, is a star of a driver. Fantastic. And yeah. Lance Stroll, yeah, fourth. Albon's worthy of staying at Red Bull. Oh, of course he is. But uh, my take too in qualifying was the fact that both the Williams cars performed very well. And, and particularly Russell, I thought he did a great job. Um, didn't quite translate into the race, which is unfortunate for them, but it must give the Williams team a bit of hope, the fact that, you know, there's potential there. However, take away the fact that maybe this type of circuit suited that type of car as well. Yep, yep. And and remarkably enough, only one retirement, that was Pierre Gasly, who spent the whole weekend retiring, basically. <laughs> didn't get out for one <laughs> practice session. Uh, so You'd have to have a very <laughs> cold heart if you didn't feel something for Williams. Yeah, yeah. What it was just to. good to see them come up a notch, you know, and they did it pretty well. Like Russell, well, I think was thirteenth and yep. qualified. They got into Q two, which yeah. is which is a, good a, for the second time. That's that's pretty good indeed. It, we end up once again with Lewis Hamilton, surprise, surprise, at the top of the field with uh, sixty three points. Valtteri Bottas fifty eight, and uh, Verstappen thirty three. Lando Norris twenty six. Lando didn't drive as well, but he. He buggered it up on the start. Um, Carlos Sainz drove well. And the constructors, Mercedes first, Red Bull second, McLaren Honda. Uh, sorry, McLaren Renault. Goodness me. Oh. Oh, McLaren Renault, 41, soon to be McLaren Mercedes. And then Racing Point Mercedes right behind them on 40. So McLaren need to uh, step up a bit there. But as a race, they'll be looking forward to getting to Silverstone, I think. Where it could rain again. <laughs> it's summer. <laughs> but at least this time, if it rains, they're not going to have 100,000 cars. Stuck in mud that no. they've got to try no. and <laughs> extricate no, at the end of the racing. So yeah. there's a positive for you. Yeah, the farmer or the two or three farmers down the road who charge, I think, a hundred pounds to tow cars out of their muddy paddocks. They're going to be well. They're going to be on the dole, aren't they? Yeah. There was talk of a bit of a COVID scare around the paddock. Uh, I yeah. think on the Friday, two people were um, tested positive for COVID. Neither of them travelled from Austria, uh, so they weren't part of the. Um, in a bubble of Formula One, it, apparently one was a rigger um, rigging the TV cables, uh, and he would have flown there directly. And the other one, they think, was a local cleaning lady. So that's what that is. So at the moment, Formula One's bubble is contained, shall we say? But they're concerned about going to Spain now as well because that's uh, that's uh, gone up quite a lot there. The 
the cases and the deaths, but there again, you've got, as I say, MotoGP, they were all, or Moto3 and 2, they were kind of walking around with no masks, no, nobody bothering, so I don't know. I thought the highlight of the weekend racing-wise was IndyCar, and we'll go to uh, David Turner and his extra-long bit of string and tin can shortly around that, but uh, just in the F2 and F3, maybe not halcyon days for a couple of Kiwis involved uh, in that competition, but it's not meant to be easy, is it, Bob? No, no, it's not. In Formula 2, um, it's amazing, really, that Liam Lawson kind of flows under the radar internationally quite a lot until your engine blows up and you've got flames coming out the back <laughs> like a Saturn rocket, and then his, the picture's all over the world. No, unfortunately, Liam in both the races, he was driving well in both the races, um, but the engine blew up, is all I can say about that. The first race and the second race, it just stopped. There was just nothing there at all. Uh, Marcus Armstrong, um, he had a... Well, he didn't do that well in the, in the first race. He was um, sixth, I think. Um, but uh, it, it was a tough race. Uh, he retired when he was in about sixth position. I can't remember where it was. Now, in somebody else's accident where he was trying to avoid... Uh, an accident between uh, involving his teammate and both t- uh, cars had to be retired. That was Lingard, his teammate. Second race, uh, he he did a good fight back. He come came uh, ninth from I think it was nineteenth or somewhere back there, and uh, he drove pretty sensibly, saving tyres when everybody was losing theirs about them. So that championship now, um, Marcus is sixth in the championship with thirty four points, but Schwartzman is starting to look as if he's running away with it now. Robert Schwartzman, who was once again down TRS, here, in TRS, yeah. eighty one points. So. Um, and going back to Liam Lawson, he is now eighth in that championship with 25 points. Uh, Piastri, the Australian, 76 points. So the boys have got a bit to do as they I, come up. I think the thing that when you watch both the F2 with Lawson and then, uh, sorry, the F3 with Lawson and then the F2 with Armstrong is, boy, that racing's aggressive. It's very, very aggressive and big car fields too, particularly F3, you know. So the sport in that sense is quite healthy because it's not a cheap end of the sport. There's a lot of entries there, so there's yeah. some, some very good things happening, and there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent, as you say. A, a huge talent in, in in both three and two. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great thing to see. Here on uh, Racing World with Darcy, Bob, and David, I'm going to hand over to Mr. IndyCar now, who's very, very busy over the weekend, as all the IndyCar drivers and teams were. Uh, that was a fair mess of racing they had on their hands uh, at Iowa. Short track, long weekend. Yeah, short track, very hard weekend. Um, Bull ring type thing. Both me and Bob have been to Iowa before. It's, it's great a great racing. track. I Fantastic love it, track. Um, corn belt. You know, corn you, everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> corn. Yeah, corn <laughs> everywhere. Um, but you get to see the whole track from one spot, so that's quite neat. Um, you know, and then the night race concept as well, which IndyCar under lights is a bit like supercar. It's, it takes on a whole different vein. So it was particularly good to see. Um, I, I, again, I think, you know, the, the boys, are, um, as you'll hear them say, they're, they're looking forward to this weekend off because it's been a hard couple of weeks for them, four races effectively in two weeks. You know, that's a lot of, a lot of racing. Um, the big changes going into this one was they, because they've been on an oval, it's single car qualifying. So what IndyCar did is they just threw a slight curveball to everyone and said, right, you go out and qualify, your first lap is for race one and your second lap is for race two. So, you know, in the case of, say, Pagano and, and even Dixon, you know, they didn't have overly good qualifying runs. Well, Pagano didn't get out at all. No. Really. <laughs> no. And, and you pay the price, you know. So it mixed it up a little bit, which is it's good. It's innovative. Quite a price to pay for you know, Pagano. I, like I wouldn't it. mind that. Yeah. Last yeah. of first, extraordinary. Yeah. So there was, you know, there was there was plenty going on. Good to see some, some new things developing, particularly, I think, I've got to say it, McLaren's choice of drivers uh, with Pato and Oliver Askew. I think it's a good call, very similar to what, we almost have seen them do an F1 where they've taken young blood and nurturing it around themselves. And, and I think you're going to see the results of that. And yeah. I, I rate Pato, I really do. Um, I just, there's something about him that I think he, he needs to cop a break, which I think he's now getting with McLaren, and it's now up to him to deliver. So Yeah, he was picked up, or he's still Red Bull, isn't he, and put into um, Japan racing, and that didn't go well. He was put into European racing, and that didn't go well for one or two races. So he's found his home, basically, in IndyCar, and he's doing incredibly well. So basically what I did is I took my very long piece of string now and spread it over two days with my tin can, and I started out and I, I, I caught up with Oliver Askew after race one. Oliver, congratulations on a third-place finish. Starting you know, back in the field for this first race in 14th position, was that in your mind of being a, a hard task ahead? Well, luckily, um, qualifying doesn't mean so much as, as we saw today, and uh, tomorrow we're going to be starting in, the, in the, about the same spot, so... Um, 
the I was kind of worried. The first stint didn't really go very well. Um, we got stuck stuck in one groove and kind of burnt off the right front tire. So um, that forced us to, to pit a little early, um, which ended up helping us, I think. So, um, you know, we jumped a lot of cars on that, on that next stint, and that's when we, we found, ourselves run, found ourselves running in the top five uh, with Pato. So um, just an overall super strong day for the team. Well, Scott, 17th starting position certainly made tough uh, life tough for you there and uh, in amongst the traffic early on. Yeah, it was definitely pretty interesting. We, you know, we had made uh, some bad adjustments for qualifying, so it definitely took us, with the impound race, it definitely took us some time to dial that back out. Um, and I felt like as we kind of got lucky with some of those cautions and moved up, the car was actually pretty decent, especially on the long run. You know, we maybe didn't have the pace, I think, on the first uh, sort of 20 laps. But after that, we seemed to be pretty good. Scott, with the limited amount of track time that you're having now and in the way the qualifying format worked, how important was it to have a good car straight out of the box when you got to the track? I thought our car in practice actually was quite good. And then we made some changes for qualifying. And there's, you know, one piece on the car that we knew we kind of needed to get rid of or we had to dial out. And we had to, you know, it took us a couple of stops to, to get, you know, to help that uh but obviously you know i think simon and myself you know he's his car was probably a little bit better especially at the start of the race um you know he was able to get around us and then you know their strategy was slightly different than ours i think they put it a little bit earlier but still caught the yellows that we did and you know uh, it's definitely tough especially on these short tracks where you know if you do pay you're going to lose a couple laps so you got to be you got to be pretty aggressive on, on going long that really helped us last year and pull ourselves out of the hole there as well so um you know, had a pretty good run on, on Simon. I probably should have, you know, gone in a bit deeper. I just didn't really, um, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't pull that move off that well. Uh, and I think it was really my only, only opportunity. You know, he seemed to be a little bit better for the last 10 laps, but you know, sort of uh, 40 to go, you know, 30 to go. I thought our car was really strong, but uh, huge congrats to him. They did a you know, fantastic job and it was good to see him in uh, victory lane. The big takeaway thing for you uh, from this race? Uh, well, I think the most important part is to not start at the back. You know, uh, it's kind of silly the position we put ourselves in and, and, you know, it is what it is. You know, I think we, we tried to work on the race car a little bit more. We made some changes that we didn't really know what they were going to do and, and it kind of really hurt the car. So, um, you know, we'll have a good thing tonight to try and make it a little more consistent. I think we made some good gains as far as, you know, uh, you know, what we did through the race. Um, but yeah, we shouldn't be putting ourselves in a situation like this. And there's no real clear way. You know, I think what what Sato did in pitting early, I think, you know, was, was a really good plan, um, you know, and splitting, you know, the, the, the race into, you know, kind of three even, um, you know, uh, distances was, was definitely a, a great key, I think. Uh, he kind of got, you know, hung out when the caution fell when it did, but it helped, you know, some of the others that were looking at a two-stop. So, you know, uh, that helped us. So it, 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 it's a bit of a mixed bag, you know, that's kind of uh, what makes IndyCar very difficult and sometimes not very fair. You know, uh, a lot of those guys that had great performance at the start of the race, it definitely hung them out. Simon, congratulations on your race win. Uh, certainly uh, a long way to do it from the very back. A lot of dramas for you early on in the qualifying format. Uh, yeah, we've, we had some sort of a fuel pressure issue. Uh, so the car wouldn't start. Uh, a problem that's really rare. Uh, luckily, we were able to fix it um, because we didn't get to qualify. We, we could fix it thanks uh, thanks to IndyCar because obviously, um, uh, you know, the, the the new schedule made it so you know you have the impound rules. But uh, we were able to uh, to fix it per per the regulation, and um, uh, it is what it is. I tell you what, you know, unfortunately, it's an engine issue, but. Chevy won me Indy, so uh, what can you say? You know, there's, you got to be, you have to be uh, fortunate about the situation you're in sometimes, and uh, sometimes there's going to be outside factors you can't control. Uh, but this team, as you see, uh, is able to always bounce back, and um, I think that's the strength, and that's what's impressive to me. So, obviously, um, definitely not the qualifying we wanted because. Um, I think we're the car for both poles. Uh, so tomorrow we're going to have again. A lot of work to do, but uh, actually starting at the back allows you to uh, learn really early on about lane usage, uh, tire wear. Uh, so I think, you know, I started really aggressive and, and dialed it back a little bit afterwards. Um, 
so that was a different approach to uh, to some other races I've been starting at the front on oval. On oval. So uh, interesting for sure. But um, yeah, just very fortunate that uh, my team had a great strategy. We were able to lay down some fast lap and pit sec sequence and get to the front. Simon, big adjustments this uh, weekend for the aero screen and the addition of the two new scoops on it. What's the first thoughts on those? Yeah, I thought personally, um, I thought this was a, an added layer of uh, airflow into the cockpit. I thought that was great um, uh, handling as long as everybody runs it. You know, obviously, uh, uh, as long as everybody runs it, everybody, nobody, you're not going to feel something different. So it's um, my opinion, the more air, the better. Uh, you know, obviously tonight was uh, was not too hot, so uh, you're not supposed to be hot in a race car. Then it's under yellow that it gets actually the hottest. Uh, but um, if it was during the day, it would have been tougher. Uh, however, it's an improvement, and IndyCar is really on it. As for you, Scott, what did you uh, what, what did you think of the the new Aero scoops? Um, did it make life any easier, or was there any drastic difference between that and not running them with them at all? Uh, I think it was good for putting a bunch of sand on the car. I don't know, I've never been so dirty in my life, but it's, um, yeah, it's hard to, we, we never really tried it off. I think only Felix maybe did, and he thought that there was a little more air, but, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, I think any additional stuff, I think places like here, it's not really needed, uh, but it's, you know, IndyCar are doing a hell of a job to try and, you know, fix things on, on the run, which, you know, even to produce these things and make them, you know, in, in, in the fashion and the time frame that they're doing, you know, they're doing a, a fantastic job. But, you know, uh, I think it's kind of driver dependent and, you know, where you sit and which vents that you have and kind of things like that. But uh, I don't think it was needed tonight. And Oliver, as we have you here, what was your thought of the new Aero Scoops? Yeah, I kind of echo what, what Scott said. I don't think I've ever been so dirty getting out of the car in my life, which which means that it's been moving uh, it's been moving some air into into the cockpit. But um, you know, I I haven't done a back to back, so I can't really say if it's if it's an improvement. Simon, just staying with the whole new aero screen concept just for a minute. Um, obviously, we saw Colton's crash and, and even Will's accident where he lost the wheel. Um, I, I guess we've put the aero screen to a test now, haven't we? Yeah, I, personally, that was my first thought. I saw I saw two cars flying behind me uh, pretty high. My first thought was, thank God we've got the uh, aero screen. So, uh, again, you know, I've, I've been in big favor of uh, the aero screen for safety. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, being around when it, what happened to Justin was, was really tough, um, really tough for everybody. So, uh, you know, obviously being there and seeing it happen was extremely hard. So, uh, so I'm so glad that um, IndyCar is doing everything they can to be, be the pioneer in, into a new level of safety. And uh, I welcome it. And Scott, for you, that, that restart um, where the, the start got waved off, you were probably in the, a good position to see what was going on. Uh, yeah, I was right behind it. You know, it was an unfortunate incident there. Um, you know, I think, obviously, uh, Colton just didn't hear that, you know, we, they waved it off. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, as, you know, I just echo what, what Simon said, you know, I think what IndyCar have done with the aero screeners, you know, it's... Uh, it's made a lot safer, uh, made IndyCar a lot safer, made the sport a lot safer, and you know uh, we've got to keep pushing. And, and uh, you know it's great to see it working uh, as as well it has as it has you know for the season. Well, moving on to race two and uh, Will Power, second place finish for you. But it seems like you're a little bit frustrated at the moment. There's a few things that are sort of not quite going the way you'd like them to. Yeah, I mean just just have normal races where it's just strange, abnormal things don't happen. Like just just have just straight up normal races and be able to use the pace that I have, that would be awesome. That would be just so good. Or you could totally change the tactic and just qualify horribly and do a bad job, and the way the rules are right now, end up at the front. So you got to kind of take your which one do you want to do? I'll take the working hard and then, you know trying to be good. They need to make it make it fair to people who put a hard good effort in, spend a lot of money to be at the front not to get screwed and basically get a drive-through because the yellow falls at the wrong time. Just a horrible rule. And there's a solution for it, but they don't want to change it. They should change it. Just a terrible rule. And Joseph, congratulations on your win uh, in the second of the two races at Iowa. But a very physical weekend for you. That's four races over the two weekends. And uh, everyone looking forward to a weekend off now. Oh, it was very tough. Very, you know, um, without a doubt, I... 
I was pretty fatigued toward the, towards the end of this race. I, I started, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but like the last 50 laps, I felt like, you know, I was just starting to feel it a bit. I was really, you know, having to work to concentrate. Um, cause you know, these aren't endurance events where you kind of backpedal a bit with the car and you take it easy. Like you're, you are flat out, you know, knife to your throat for 250 laps. I mean, that's how you drive these cars. So to, to do that two nights in a row in a, in a grueling environment, I mean, an Indy car is, is, is honestly a grueling environment. It's been a little bit more grueling with the, the aero screen, but it's always been that way. It's always been tough. So it, it, it was very difficult. I think for anyone in this race tonight, they had their, their work cut out for them. Um, you know, it was a little bit more, definitely more fatiguing than Road America. Road America, you have a little more time on the straights to catch your breath, but uh, this was tough. You know, if, if they end up doing a doubleheader at some of the other events or, you know, whatever's going to be coming our way, um, they're, they're tough to get through. You got to be physically ready for it. You're on the Racing World podcast. Interesting hearing from those blokes after that double header. And I suppose when you look at it, it was four races across nine days, not two weeks. If you if you trim it back, it was pretty tough for those guys. Was was Will Power really in an ice bath? Yeah, he was during right. the press conference. Okay. But I think a lot of that was trying to obviously bring his body temperature back, which again just shows you. And as Joseph said, they they were pretty fatigued guys. But um, one thing that they they did say that I didn't have in there was the fact that you know got to spare a thought for the crews as well because they're working even longer hours. As far as Will Power's concerned, I, I mean, what the is concept he, of yellows? That's yeah. what happens in that racing. Everybody gets cut off by those situations. Yeah. It's going to happen. That's I think, the nature of it. I think to be honest, and you know, perhaps I am being cruel. What he really ought to do is think about his his racing rather than bitch and moan about it. Stop whining. Get on with the job, like others do. But um, nonetheless, and they did refer to that accident with Cole Herter, and uh, um, I mean, just amazing, amazing accident, amazing. They all walked away. Strength of Indy cars is like Formula One cars, is um, is quite remarkable. Yeah, it was a big rebuild by the Andretti team as well overnight. You know, it's a significant rebuild. And again, oh, I'll it, bet. it shows yeah. you the pressure of these doubleheader events where. You know, you don't have as much time to play with as you would at, at normal things. But, you know, they've got a week off now. Then they move on to Mid-Ohio, which is a track that um, our boy Dixon has done very, very well at. Five or six times has he won Yeah, there? Or six and, is it seven? And, and New know. Garden's done quite well there as well. So, you know, and, and the thing is that we're starting to see the fact that Scott needs to be very aware of where Simon is in the championship. And then we're seeing, you know, the McLaren duo, both of them, starting to come on. So I think the championship's very alive and kicking, but then straight after mid-Ohio, we go into the what would have been the mythical month of May, which is now the month of August, and, and qualifying and stuff for the 104th running of the Indy 500. So, you know, there will be the distraction of a 500 victory versus a championship, and then once the 500's out of the way, at least we can get on with the championship again. And on the subject of the championship, Bob, where are we standing right now points-wise? Well, Dixon is still at the top, as we said earlier on, 244 points. The way that um, IndyCar do it is kind of points behind, if you like. Pagano, 49 points. Newgarden, 54 points behind. Pato Award, 82. Uh, Will Power, 102 now. And there is this old saying in IndyCar that if you're more than 100 points behind, you can say goodbye to the championship. So looking at it like that, there's only four guys in it. Eh, that could change. Um, because uh, are they still doing double points at Indy 500? I don't know. I've we actually know. Writ I've written for clarification on that because I, I would like to hope that they don't actually. Rahal 102, Herder 103, Ericsson 107. So um, yeah, it's it's still there, and and Scott is uh, in the lead. Of course, he'll leave the next race regardless in the lead uh, because you get 50 points for winning, but you get paid all the way down. So he's going he's got to get about eight points anyway, even if he doesn't take part. So uh, he should still have the lead there. Yeah, on the Racing World podcast, David Turner, Bob McMurray, myself, Darcy Watergrave. Up shortly, uh, more from New Zealand. We'll also spread around a couple of other uh, categories, including Super GT in Japan, a bit of NASCAR, and all the fun and games of MotoGP as well. Perspective Group is a leading media production company based in Auckland, New Zealand. Established in 2009 by former TVNZ producer David Turner, Perspective Group offers you a vast arrangement of media options to fit any size or budget. It covers truly global services, supported by some of New Zealand's leading media talents. For more information, contact Perspective Group Limited at perspectivegroupltd at gmail.com and check out the website perspectivegroupltd.com where you'll find even more information on creating your media solutions. 
Welcome back to Racing World with Darcy, David and Bob. And a bloke called Doug out of Mount Eden in Auckland. He's jumped on the page. He's got a question for you, Bob. Yeah, Doug, thanks for asking. And I'm, I think I might have answered it already. You were asking um, basically the Vettel um, racing point, who goes, who stays. As I said earlier on, and as Perez has said, um, Dad, after putting all the money into the team, Lawrence Stroll, he ain't going to sack Lance. I don't know. He could do. Lance is proving himself to be... A very respectable racer lately um, with some good results. Who knows? It might be Dad's turn to say, tell you what, son, go and uh, spread your wings a little bit. But there again, if he's just invested best part of, I don't know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 million dollars in his son, he's probably not going to give that to another team. So Perez apparently has been offered drives elsewhere and anybody who picks him up is going to get a damn good driver. So I don't know which one it's going to be, but I kind of think I know which one it might have, be. <laughs> would you rather have Perez or a Fettel who's on the way out and he's had his glory days behind him? I'd sooner have um, um, I'd sooner have Perez in the team, but I'd sooner have Perez and Vettel. Um, Lance Stroll is, is, is a good driver. Don't get me wrong. I really think he's a good driver, but I think he might need to go to a different environment. That's all, because he's always going to be tainted with this, you know, oh, dad's team, you're getting the best and all that sort of stuff, which he's not. You can't do that in a Formula One team. But if he went, say, to, I don't know, to Haas or something like that and learned his trade again, he would prove how good he is. Um, maybe not at Haas immediately, but still. <laughs> um, he'd prove how good he is and and maybe then he could come back at some other point. But um, I, 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 do I need to see Vettel in there? It's just sad seeing drivers, in fact riders, I'm going to talk about Rossi as well, the back end of their career, fading a little bit. I'm not saying Vettel is fading yet, he's still a very adequate driver. Adequate? Uh, he's fading, you can't call him adequate and saying he's not fading, he's a four I, times I, well. I think yeah, I, I, I've got a parallel for you. Yeah, but those you. are behind him. <laughs> I've got a parallel for you too, you know, with the situation that Lawrence finds himself in with his son Lance, translate that across to IndyCar and Marco and Michael. And ideally, yes, yeah. Marco should have left Andretti Autosport many years ago yeah. for exactly the same reasons and learn to play with another team because Marco is talented as well. There's an error rate for sure, but he is talented because anyone that drives these things is. But I think he would have been better if he'd had to go and be slightly more hungry for it as well. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you there. Not quite the same as Brian hunter Ray coming out of the pits twice and whacking the wall both times <laughs> no. in both races. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is, I think, as you say, it was uh, Marco should have changed teams, retired, whatever he should have done. He should have made a move maybe three years ago um, because the writing was on the wall then that things weren't really going that I, well. I do know, though, that, that Michael insists that Marco does bring sponsorship to the table. I it's know. not a free ride. United you know, Concrete, is yeah, it called? US Concrete. Yeah, yeah, US Concrete. It's very mafia, that, so. isn't it? Andretti, <laughs> US <laughs> Concrete. There, there I mean, a, that's the old days. Well, there's a sense of the fact that, at least in the public environment, he's he's got to earn his place in the team financially as well, you know, so there's no favours given. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that was just a slide cut. And, my, and should anybody out there be listening, there's anything to do with them, I'm joking about the mafia, honestly. <laughs> I'm not serious. You said that fast, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, rip two wheels off and uh, end up with two reels. Uh, MotoGP back in action and uh, never a dull moment with Marquez, is there, Bob? No, no, Mark Marquez this last weekend, he did, it didn't end well at all. Um, if it, I can't describe the accident that he didn't have and remarkably got away with unless you've seen it. You have to see it, really. Uh, so have a look at it. He, I mean, he's going flat out around the corner and he's almost, I think he was leading or he was in the first two or three. And the bike got away from him and he had his elbow on the floor. He had his back left ass on the floor and he slid across. And at the same time, he managed to right the bike, which was at a zero degree angle because it was basically dragging the pegs. Um, managed to get it upright back on the, on, the, uh, on the bike, went across the gravel trap, got back in there last pretty much and um, was vying for first again. And then he really did fall off and really did have an accident, a really horrendous one as well, and seems to have uh, damaged his uh, his forearm, which will need an operation. Whether he's going to be next week or not, I don't know, because they're racing again next week at, uh, at the um, Andalusia circuit. So whether he's going to be back, I don't know. I doubt it, frankly, but who'd put it past him? Um, the race itself, Fabio Quartararo took, um, took a really good maiden win. It was a pretty dramatic Grand Prix overall. 
going back to the Vettel and Rossi thing, Valentino Rossi, uh, well, he retired, but, uh, you know, this is his last season on a, on a MotoGP bike proper, in a proper team, although he'll have more or less the same bike next year as the MotoGP team, but it'll be in a lesser team. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just sad seeing people drift backwards when Rossi only needs another two podium appearances to be on uh, to be on 100 podium appearances. We ended up, after all that, with uh, Quattararo and the Yamaha, Vinales and the Yamaha. Quattararo, just, just wonderful. And it's a historic win as well because French, uh, first French champion since God knows one. And um, and incidentally, Carl uh, Crutchlow, the LCR Honda rider, he, he uh, broke something on um, uh, left wrist, I think it was, in practice. So he didn't even take, take part in the race. So anyway, Quattararo from Vinales, Andrea De Vizioso third, Jack Miller uh, fourth, and then Morbidelli, etc., etc. One person who didn't really star, I've got to say, was um, Alex Marquez, Mark Marquez's brother in his first season in um, MotoGP. He finished 12th, but that was flattered by, I don't know, eight, nine retirements, including that of his brother. So I think Alex has got a bit to do because I'm not sure he's going to be driving for MotoGP next year, um, or at least a Honda team next year will be in MotoGP but not the Honda team next year we'll see Right, Racing World is going to add those wheels back again what happened in NASCAR just nice and quickly Bob over uh, the weekend yep. well another little bit of a historic win really first NASCAR Cup Series win Austin Dillon uh, from Tyler Reddick Joey Logano Kyle Busch and um, Kevin Harvick and Eric Jones uh, once again it was it was an okay race it was a Texas uh, which we all know is pretty damn quick uh, it was an okay race the other one thing I've got to do, and I'm going to clear up with it, if that's all right with you. Then that's fine. That's Super fine. GT. Quick Nick. Yes. In one of his, I guess, final appearances, but uh, uh, I don't know. He he won, um, he and his uh, teammate, uh, Rio Hirakawa, won the uh, the new Super GT classes. It's starting in uh, Japan, this time with a Super GT500 in its debut race. So he's pretty, looking pretty good there. Nick, of course, switches to Formula E. Um, for the uh, f- uh, for that series, as Brendan Hartley steps away from Formula E, so um, yeah, it's good uh, good for Nick. In fact, for the team he's um, running for, a good friend of mine runs the team, X McLaren. So we might get a bit of an in there. Not that we don't uh, know Nick pretty well anyway, because he's really happy to talk with us anytime. Yeah, one of the most underrated New Zealand peddlers out there, I think. Absolutely. Nick Cassidy, yep. what he's achieved that doesn't probably get the hell he deserves. It- reiterates yet again and we've said it you know over the shows that we've done so far kiwi talent around the globe it's it, it is everywhere and it's a tribute to what we're doing and i guess that kind of leads me back to maybe the question from doug earlier on and, and i guess that we had last week elton goonan who will be with us again next week so if you do want to go to the race control facebook page and leave a question for elton we'll get those to him and he has said to me to my face gentlemen to my face that he will answer those questions so don't make them too political because obviously you might not answer those. But it's a well, chance for you to them. find out, you know, what what what's happening within the sport. And equally, if you want to know something from us, you can use that method of getting to us as well. Elton, of course, is the uh, acting CEO of Motorsport NZ. And just on a couple of other New Zealanders racing around other categories, Dave, we've got an update too from a couple of guys, um, uh, Evans, Bamba, Murphy and the like as well. Well, yeah, you know, again, they, they were all at it over the weekend. So, um, you know, Ronan Murphy had a bit of a mixed bag weekend um, up in USF4, but he did get a podium finish. So that's, you know, counteracts maybe some of the, the negative bits he had. So, you know, good on him. And once again, you know, praise any of these people that are doing this job right now. And Earl was back out in the Innsmouth series uh, in his category and had a podium finish there as well. So, again, good stuff. It's... Quite interesting little stat that came out, and they called it eight wide. I don't know if you heard the term over the weekend, but it was called the Penske eight wide. It's the fact that Penske had eight cars in four different types of categories across the world at any given time. They won four of them, so he had a 50% win record over the weekend. (laughs) So there's there's one for the captain, shall we say. Yeah, especially owning tracks and things like that. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. You've mentioned Elton coming on next week, and good good on Elton for joining us. and we've also got, we're planning to have um, a healthy dose, dose of cynicism, shall I say, with um, an old favourite of ours from radio days, Mark Fogarty from Australia, talking about the um, supercars and all sorts of things he talks about. He's one of the most 
respected journalists in supercars, ex-Formula One around. So Mark Fogarty is going to um, join us next week. So um, if you've got a question for him, in fact, uh, why don't you let us know? Because uh, those of you who have listened to Mark Fogarty know that he does not shy away from calling a <laughs> shovel a spade when he needs to. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to Mark Fogues, as he's known. Well, the other thing that, that, of course, is happening in a couple of weeks' time is uh, the next round of D1NZ, and as you boys know, I kind of got quite hysterical over the ASB Stadium event inside. It, well, it was phenomenal. You and, were uh, overwhelmed with fumes, weren't I you, I was very overwhelmed. So I tried to catch up with uh, both Steve Daniels and Kenny, the two commentators for the series. Um, Kenny, unfortunately, was waterlogged in, in uh, Whangarei <laughs> after the weekend downpour, uh, including phone lines and other things, but I did catch up with Steve Daniels. Well, joining us on Racing World now, it's the voice of Valvoline D1NZ, Steve Daniels. Welcome to the show, mate. I was just blown away by what I saw at ASB Showgrounds a couple of weeks ago. Wow, what a fantastic event it was. Uh, inside the halls at ASB Showgrounds, I can't believe the noise, the speed. It was a fantastic event to be a part of. It was a great tribute to, you know, the efforts of all of you guys. You've been the length of the country this season and amongst, you know, COVID-19 and, and everything else. But, you know, Brendan White backed himself and sure enough the venue turned up and it looked superb and you know great celebs there joseph parker who i spent time with you know it was just an amazing way to to bring motorsport and drifting back into the limelight it was just a great way to see dream, dreams getting turned into reality this was a covid dream of brendan white we didn't even expect to have a crowd because we didn't think we'd be allowed to have a crowd because of the covid levels we'd potentially be in with uh, with government etc we did have the opportunity to do so and we certainly took the uh, we took the bull by the horns and that was us. We went out there and did it. We put on a show. Both you and your co-commentator, Kenny Rundell, have given me a bit of a hard time this year saying that uh, maybe I've been converted to drifting and I've now got my flat peak cap and everything else. <laughs> and uh, I'm gearing up for the final round. I'm only two weeks away now at, at Pukekohe. And, uh, you know, it's one that public can go to. And it's also probably the highest speed uh, venue that you guys go to as well. It's one of the highest speed venues in the world where we enter that turn faster than a V8 supercar, but we're doing it sideways at over 200 kilometres an hour. One of the big things for us is who is going to take the Drift King, the championship, when we crown ourselves a winner at the end of that round. We've got so many young guys that have stepped up from the pro sport, the feeder category, into the pro championship this year, and a couple of them, Taylor James out of Tukaroa, as well as Whangarei's Liam Burke. Those two are the guys leading the championship. Burke's had three podiums in a row with Taylor James having the season of seasons. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be, anyone's call. So it's Friday, July 21, and then August 1st. Um, and you can see it all on live on Sky again as well, can't you? Absolutely, live on Sky Sport. It's a great opportunity that we've had this year, moving our drifting series from an online platform through Facebook, etc., and actually bringing it so that people can see it at home, live on their 60, 70-inch TVs, <laughs> as well as around the world. You've got a 60-inch TV, that's good. I'm, I'm still down in the 50 range, so you're doing well. So the good thing about it is, is as I just said, Steve, you know, the public can come out and see the this one, it's it's a lot easier for them to potentially, I guess, get to, particularly on Saturday at Pukekohe. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be a great opportunity for the public to come along, get their motorsport fix. I think a lot of the other categories have sort of finished for the year, but we haven't with the Valvoline D1NZ National Drifting Championship. We're going to go and crown ourselves a champion uh, on the Friday and Saturday. Friday's going to be the Pro Sport Championship. Pro, um, Pro will be on the Saturday at Pukekohe at 200 kilometres an hour. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, the thing that I, I've been impressed by being, I wouldn't say necessarily a first-time drifting person this season but but followed more events and a, and a lot closely is um, the standard of preparation and the level and, and amount of time that goes into the preparation of the cars alone is it's very, very impressive. Well, a race car can be a hot rod too, and a drift car in this case, some of these guys, you've got Fanger Dan Woolhouse with his $200,000-plus Mustang. He's got two of them. You've got Carl Thompson as well. He's a 1,000 horsepower. These guys have got big horsepower, but they like to not just put on a show on the track, but their cars are show cars as well. And then me being me because of, you know, the background that I've come from and, and still currently in with, you know, production from the other side of the fence, if you like, Um the thing that I noticed, and I took it away, and, uh, and I've mentioned it to a lot of people since the ASB event, was uh, just what a great team there is behind the scenes. You know, I watched, you know, Joe up in race control, the, the judges, everything. Everybody actually had a, a, a really great level of passion for it, but they quietly got on and did the job, and that's something that I think that, that 
is unknown about drifting maybe, but it, it's something where you guys can stand very, very tall on as well. Yeah, it's definitely a proud uh, opportunity for us. We are so used to working with each other. We've done it for many, many years. Everyone knows their job, but we like to bring that sort of technology and stuff as well to make everyone's job easier, whether it's Joe running the show up in race control, Brendan sitting there switching or choosing what you suggest is a good shot for him to take for television, <laughs> as well as the judging guys. Uh, the technology is amazing. We run live drones and we'll be doing the same on the on television. We've got lots and lots of cameras. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's as much about putting on a, a spectacle for the viewing public as well as the people at home. Well, I think your mate Kenny was supposed to join us today, but I think he might still be flooded in in Whangarei, so hopefully he'll get out of there in time. If not, we'll, we'll send a boat up for him or something like that. But really look forward to seeing uh, the coverage from uh, the grand final of the Valvoline D1NZ only a couple of weeks away now, July 31, August 1st at uh, Pukekohe Park Raceway. And Steve, it'll be great to catch up with you once again. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, DT. That's uh, Steve Daniels, David Turner out there with his uh, ubiquitous tin and string, getting all the interviews there can be. It's just about time to uh, wind up the podcast for another week. Next weekend, Bob McMurray, what are we looking forward to? Uh, 47 events around the world, but um, thankfully we can take a bit of a breath. There's no Formula One, no IndyCar, no... Uh, but there is NASCAR. There is always NASCAR. It's always NASCAR. NASCAR are back <laughs> at Kansas. We've got MotoGP 2 and 3 at uh, Andalusia, and we've got the Indy Pro 2000 with Hunter McElroy back on track um, at Mid-Ohio. So, um, yeah, it's going to be going to be good, eh? Yeah. It's going to well, be good. It's about time we had a slight dip in the yeah, curve. I know. But then, then it's going to ramp up again the following week. Yeah, so it all fine. happens mm. again with Silverstone and all sorts of things uh, the following week. So, yep. And um, we'll be all that. over it like rashes. David Turner, thank you. Bob McMurray, thank you. I'm Darcy Watergrave on behalf of the Racing World team. You have a wonderful week. Drive it like you stole it. Race Control Magazine is your IndyCar fan mag and so much more. Publishing monthly online on issuu.com, you'll find Race Control Magazine there for you to download and enjoy everything IndyCar and so much more. Behind the scenes features, race reports and the entire Road to Indy series are just part of what you'll find along with stunning images captured from the series' leading photographers. Grab your copy today at iwsw.com to complete your motorsport read. Racing World is presented by Race Control Magazine.